into the word of God. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Our Father and our Lord, we thank and we praise you tonight. For it's in you, Lord, we live and move and have our being. And we ask, oh Lord, that uh, you would speak tonight, that it wouldn't be uh, persuasive words of man's wisdom, that it would be in power and demonstration of your spirit so that no one's faith would rest in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. And we know, Lord, that it's your words, that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would send it down from heaven and accomplish everything you have set it out to do, not to go into one ear and out the other, but into the ear and into the heart. And we pray, Lord, that when they hear your voice, they harden not their hearts as they did in the day of rebellion, but that today would be the day of salvation for all who believe. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. Be with Pastor Dave. Bless his family. Uh, Bless all those who are not able to make it, all those who are not feeling well. Um, We just pray you bring them back here, Lord God, into the house of the Lord. We love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen. All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. New Testament, John chapter 10. So last time I was up here, maybe a month ago, a couple months ago, we did the first half of John chapter 10. So I'm going to try to do a really quick background just to get us caught up because it is in the middle of the chapter. But John's gospel essentially, there's a theme for the gospels. John's theme is significantly different from the synoptic gospels. John tells us that in John, I believe it's chapter 20, he said that these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have a life in his name. And all throughout the gospel, the theme is Jesus is God, that he's the eternal God, that he's the invisible God made visible, and that salvation is only through him. Hence the term I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That is the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14, 6. So as we go into John 10, the context is really from John 9, when we had the blind man who was healed, and then the religious leaders cast him out because they wouldn't bow to what they believed. They wouldn't, he wouldn't bow to religion, but he confessed Christ. He confessed a man named Jesus when he didn't even know, but he knew his life was different. And remember, Uh, We learned in that chapter that you don't have to know everything about the Lord, but just the simple fact that I once was blind and now I see. And what happened in the middle was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it transitions into chapter 10 and Jesus uses the imagery. Through scripture, there's several imageries about how a relationship is with the Lord. One of them is a head and a body, right? That uh, we're the body of Christ. He's the head. Another one is a building and a cornerstone, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone that holds the building together. Another one we see probably more than any is a husband and a wife. We're the bride of Christ. And and this one we see the relationship of a shepherd and a sheep. But each of them are one is dependent on the other. Vine and a branch, right? In John 15, one is dependent on the other. Here in John chapter 10, we are the sheep. He is the shepherd. And I'm okay with that. I don't know about you guys. But he serves as the great shepherd. Now, back in the Old Testament, the kings and the uh, the prophets, they were kind of considered the shepherds of Israel, right? And that they would look over the flock of Israel, but they were wicked shepherds. We see all throughout scripture, they're wicked. They were feeding themselves. They weren't, they didn't care for the sheep. Jesus would later call them hirelings, people who just did it for gain and not to actually do the will of God. And so Jesus says, guess what? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. And he gave this imagery of an Eastern sheepfold that had a big wall and a door frame in which the good shepherd would lay down and protect the sheep overnight to make sure no one got the sheep. 
And then in the morning, the good shepherd, the real shepherd, would come and call out his sheep by name, and the gatekeeper would know the shepherd and say, okay, yes, you're the shepherd, you can come in. And I believe that was John, you know, that picture was John the Baptist, because he called and said, hey, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the shepherd would then call the sheep out and lead them into green pasture, not meaning heaven, but I would say a life of peace and walking with the Lord Jesus. But he also said that he's the door three different times, three different contexts. I'm not going to go into them all. But essentially, Jesus is the good, the great shepherd. He's the bishop of our souls. He's the, the great and mighty counselor. He's everything that we've ever needed in human form. And he's still God. And so he gave that, and of course the religious leaders didn't like it. They, they don't like anything that's not of what their ideology is, and they begin to be a big division over who Jesus is. And then that's where we get to the end of verse chapter nine, I mean, verse 19. I'll just read it just to transition us into uh, verse 21. Or verse 22, I'm sorry. So 19, it says, Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So this happened often in Jesus' ministry. There was a, div a division of those who were of truth and those who were of lie. And truth does that. People get mad and say, you don't talk about religion and politics, right? I get it. But <laughs> at the end of the day, truth causes a natural divide between that which is reality and that which is not. And so Jesus, the truth is always going to bring division, and that's exactly what happened. So we're going to go into verse 22, but I'll go over the outline quickly. So I tell the message, I and my father are one, the shepherd's promise to his sheep. So point one, we're going to see the attributes of false sheep. You guys know that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is not really a Christian. Everyone who claims they know Jesus is not really part of the church. And so the religious leaders claimed they knew God, claimed they were following God. Remember the Saul of Tarsus was zealous for the things of God, but did not have the truth. And so there's, there's attributes of false sheep. They look for temporal deliverance rather than spiritual deliverance. They typically blame their problems on the shepherd rather than taking accountability for their sin. And they're filled with doubt, non-belief, and pride. These are people, these are not fruit of those who follow Jesus. Secondly, we're going to see the eternal security of a sheep. And this causes problems for people in the church. I get it, but I'm just going from the text. They hear his voice and they respond to it. They follow Jesus and they're known by him. Relationship equals obedience. Salvation results in obedience. No obedience, no salvation. That's from the word of God. Obedience does not save you. Salvation produces obedience. And we're going to see that in the scripture. Lastly, really plain, Jesus is God. He makes it extremely clear. In this chapter alone, he, he calls God his father eight to nine times, saying that he and God are one, same essence, same being, but of course, not the same person. Jesus is, uh, and I'll just go over it really quick. Verse 25, it says, the works that I do in my father's name. Verse 29, my father is greater than all. Verse 30, I and my father are one. Verse 32, many works I have shown you from my father. Verse 36, I said I am the son of God. Verse 37, if I do the works of my father. Verse 38, that you may know and believe the father is in me and I in him. Over and over and over, he claims he's God just in this chapter alone. And I emphasize that because I run into people so many times, Jesus never said he was God. He never said that. 
I'm going to ask, have you read the scriptures? Have you opened it up and read the scriptures? Because over and over and over, he not only says he's God, but he acts like God. He does the works of God to the point where John 3, Nicodemus, the ruler of that time, said, Rabbi, no man can do these things unless God be with him. And so Jesus gave all the evidence. He's not hiding from anybody. He's not playing peekaboo. He's not playing where's Waldo. He showed up on the scene, bold as can be, and all the signs were evident that he is Jehovah God in human flesh. Hence, John would say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He previously made statements about this back in chapter 5. He says, Jesus says, Jesus says, my father has been working and I am working. 519, the son does whatever he sees the father do. 520, the father loves the son and shows him all things. Verse 22, the father has committed all judgment to the son. And verse 23, one of my favorite ones is show Jesus says he was God. All should honor the son as they honor the father. If you do not honor the son, you don't honor the father either. Very simple. Jesus is God. All right, verse 22 in your Bibles. It says, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. So at the end of verse uh, 21, there's about three months that have lapsed. It said it's now winter. And Jesus, it's now the feast of dedication. So that was actually an extra biblical feast. So it wasn't one of the seven, seven pilgrimage, seven feasts. It was an extra biblical feast known as Hanukkah, which some of us know. It was, and it celebrated the cleansing and rededication of the temple after three years of desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes. There was a prophecy of that back in the book of Daniel that that was going to happen. That happened in the intertestament periods, the 400 years of silence. And so just a brief so you guys can understand like what the significance of the Feast of Dedication is for context. So Antiochus attacked Jerusalem, and then he instituted a reign of terror upon the Jews of the city. He then stole millions of gold and silver from the temple treasury. Antiochus said that possessing a copy of the law was punishable by death. Antiochus said that circumcising a child was punishable by death. The temple was turned into a house of prostitution. The great altar of burnt offering was turned into an altar unto the Greek god Zeus. Under Antiochus, pigs were sacrificed upon the great altar, and about 80,000 Jews were killed, and an equal number were sold as slaves. And so that was a time where, again, the Jewish people were under oppression for disobedience to God. However, why they're celebrating is the, Ma the Maccabeans came in, and they teamed up with the Jews, and they rose a revolt and took back over the temple and then rededicated it back to the Lord. And that's what that feast of dedication was actually about. And so, unfortunately, though, there was only a temporary deliverance because they were then taken over by Rome not too long after that. The good thing here is that Jesus came to give us a true deliverance. And so while they were celebrating a temporal deliverance um, back into their, their, their worship, Jesus comes to give a spiritual everlasting deliverance, not just from our temporal issues, but from our eternal issue, which is the problem of sin. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so often people tell me, well, 
you know, super pious religious people, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's a pagan holiday. And Jesus wasn't really born on that day. And here's what I would say to that. Jesus celebrated an extra biblical feast because it brought glory to the Lord. And, it, and they celebrated the deliverance of the Lord. And so I would say when you, when you celebrate things that are not in the Bible, and not everything's in the Bible, it does not say thou shalt not celebrate a feast and go down all that, right? Do what's in your conviction to do. But whatever you do, do, the Bible says do it as unto the Lord, right? And so we can celebrate Christmas and we can glory of Jesus and his birth, especially if it's going to overtake an evil holiday. Especially if we can celebrate it any day and make sure the Lord God is glorified in all that we do. I think it's a good practice to look back on what God has done for us. I have a prayer journal myself and I constantly write in it. And every so often, a couple of months, I go back and I review it. Sometimes I'll go back five, six months. Sometimes I'll go back a year. And it always increases my faith to see how faithful God is to deliver and answer the prayer, whether it was yes or whether it was no. When I see the no, I get often glad and say, I'm, I thank the Lord that he didn't grant that prayer, right? And so it's okay to look back on what God has delivered us from. It reminds me of a scripture, Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord God redeemed you. And so while they're looking back as a feast to celebrate that, I don't think that's a bad thing. But may we not only look on a temporal deliverance, but on what the Lord has done for us. So as he walks in the temple, verse 23, as he walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, that was the outermost part of Herod's temple built by his laborers. And then it was a place of shade and severe heat. And it's in the wintertime, so now it's a place where they can be warm. He walks in there, and here's what they say. Verse 24, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, mind you, it's been three months, and they're still marinating on what Jesus said three months ago. And as soon as he comes, they basically ambush him, trying to ask him, Hey, how long do you make us wait? It's your fault that we're in doubt. It is your fault that we don't believe. That's on you because of that. That word doubt means raise our emotions, the affections of our soul. The real question is, how long will the Jews be in doubt? Not how long does Jesus keep you in doubt? Where have they been all this time? What do you mean tell us plainly? What more could have Jesus said or done at that point? He did all the mighty works of the Father. The Bible says that the Lord is the one who calms the seas and does all these things. So Jesus steps on the scene and he says, wind, be still, does that. The Bible says only the Lord can forgive sin. Jesus steps on the scene and what does he say? The Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin. Nicodemus comes, like I said earlier, and says no man can do these things unless God be with him. Over and over and over, he says, I am my Father, I am my Father, I am my Father. Tell us plainly? How much more plainly can you get? See, saints, this is the peril of unbelief. See, pride has no boundaries and it has no limits. And this is exactly where the religious leaders are. I think sometimes we can kind of do the same thing. We can blame Jesus for things in our life in which we are disobedient. We can say, why didn't our marriage work out when we didn't obey and we're unequally yoked? Why, why can't I find work when you keep turning down job offers because it doesn't pay you enough money or doesn't give you the schedule that you want? I had a brother in Christ who came to me often and says he feels depressed and he, he's asking me, what's the problem? Just tell me what the problem is. When's the last time you've been in fellowship? Oh, seven years? 
You haven't been to church in seven years. You have been severed from the body of Christ. What did you think was going to happen? See, saints, the Bible says we've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so we have no right to isolate ourselves any more than a finger has a right to jump off the hand. We're connected to one another. And so a lot of times we can fall into that, that deception of trying to blame God for consequences of our disobedience. This is the same thing the religious leaders were doing, is you're the one who's keeping us in doubt. Just tell us that you're the Christ, and then you can overthrow Rome, and we can get past all this. Just a temporal deliverance. I think, of, uh, I think it was Simon in Acts chapter 8. He was a sorcerer, and he saw that they were delivering people with the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And he may have been saved. I don't know. It's not my place to judge. But when Simon says the Lord is going to judge you, all he wanted was deliverance from the consequences of the sin, but not the actual sin itself. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that deception too, that we just want deliverance from consequences and not from the actual sin that's wreaking havoc in our lives and the lives around us. Truth up. Amen. Want to make sure you guys are still alive, still, still, still there. Amen. That's a good thing to say. Amen. That means I agree. I bear witness to the word being spoken. It's real. The Jews' intent, intent, anticipation of the Messiah, it was a Jewish tradition that during that feast of dedication that the Messiah was supposed to come. So they were in anticipation, the prophecy that he would come lowly on a colt and as a suffering servant. But you remember, they wanted him to come as a conquering king. They wanted a Joshua, not me, of course, but they wanted a Joshua or a Moses or a King David that was going to come and rage war to deliver them out of that. And so they had their eyes on the wrong perspective. The spiritual response to our sin should be brokenness, contrition, and anguish. Reminds me of King David. He says, against you and only you have I sinned that you might be just in your uh, judgment and overcome when you are judged, right? In Psalm 51. I think of Psalm 38, 18. I will declare my iniquity and I will be in anguish over my sin. And I love Joseph. He says, how can I do this great wickedness, uh, sin against my God? This is the response. This should be the true response to our sin and brokenness, not pride and blame and arrogance, Verse 25 says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And so Jesus responds, I already told you that. Again, it's not that you're uninformed. It's not that you're not in the know. It's simply that you refuse to believe. Hebrews 3, for it is written, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the day of rebellion. Jesus did not come the way that they expected. They literally have truth at their doorstep, but because truth knocks instead of ringing the doorbell, they don't answer. He came a different way. He came lowly on a colt and not as a conquering servant, so they continue to deny some examples for context of Jesus saying, I told you. There's a lot, but I'm only going to give a few. John 3.13, he says, I am the one who comes from heaven. John 3.15, he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. 5.19, he says, I am the unique son of God. John 8, he says, I always please God and I never sin. 
John 8, 42, I am uniquely sent from God. In John 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am, and there's many, many, many more I told you's. And we have to ask ourselves, God is very, very repetitive, which I appreciate because I need it. Why is he so repetitive? Because we don't listen. We don't listen. Over and over again, do not fear, do not be afraid. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Here we are, fearing and afraid, right? Fearing and afraid. If we would only take heed to what Scripture is telling us to the Jesus I told you already. The Bible says that do not fear nor be afraid. It is the Lord thy God that goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the promises of God. But a lot of times we forget because our eyes are there and not here in the word of God. He says, you do not believe. This phrase is used 15 times in this gospel alone. You do not believe. The problem is you do not know. The issue is you do not believe. It means they're not persuaded. No confidence of trust for salvation. Jesus stated, we know them by their fruit. And Proverbs 20 says that even a child is known by their deeds. They often blame their problems or outline on the shepherd rather than taking accountability for their sin. They're filled with doubt, non-belief, and pride. Saints, these are not the attributes of a Christian. These are not the attributes of somebody who claims to know Jesus Christ. These are the attributes of someone who's confessing but not possessing Jesus. And that can happen. And I pray that that's never us. He says, the works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The works, very clear. Back in John 5, Jesus gave like a, I call it like a five-fold witness. He says, John the Baptist bears witness of me. My father bears witness of me. The scriptures bear witness of me. And he says, the works that I do bear witness of who I am. Belief and behavior, again, are married to one another. What you believe always correlates to how you behave. And Jesus Christ made it very, very clear, not only just in his words, but also in the works and signs that he showed that he is exactly who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, then I can trust what he says and have a lot of faith in my life because faith comes by hearing and of course hearing by the word of God. All the signs and miracles that he has done, they've marveled. They've admitted that no one has ever spoke like him before. Nicodemus admitted God must be with him. As I said earlier, when he says they bear witness, it means gives evidence, an honorable testimony. And I think sometimes as Christians, you know, the Bible says um, we're known by the love we have one to another, right? And it says that it's God in us who does the work. But if someone looked at us and looked at how our lifestyle is, what would they say? Would they say, oh, I know God is with him because that's different. I know God is with that individual because they're vastly different from everyone else. And so I'd ask you guys, do your works testify that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Is it, is it something you hold only at church and at home? Well, there's no such thing as a secret gospel. The gospel is alive. You, you, it's alive and eternal. It's not something you can put in your pocket and keep it there suppressed. That's not going to happen. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. That's dunamis power that can't be held down. Amen. Jeremiah said, it's like shut up in my bones. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to say anything, but I, I couldn't hold it in. And I let it out, right? This is that same witness that Jesus is saying, bear my works. They bear witness. They give a testimony 
of who I am. And when he says in my father's name, it means in agreement with my father. And I was out studying, that kind of struck me because I wonder, you know, how many things do we do in the father's name that, that he's not in agreement with, right? Do we gossip in his name? I'm a Christian, but I need to tell you something. I'm, we're going to pray for him afterwards, but I'm going to tell you this, right? A lot of us use that. Do we mistreat one another in his name? Do we lie still and cheat in his name? He doesn't agree with that. Do we, uh, when we examine ourselves, our Around us is the Lord glorified in us. When we go out in public, do people know you're a Christian? I often ask that. Being a Christian is not just one act here and there. It's a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle because the Holy Spirit is alive. The Bible says we have a living Savior. Therefore, we have a living word and a living hope. And therefore, our lives should be vastly different. But do your works bear witness of who you are? We note takers, Matthew 5, 16 should know this. May we let our light shine that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Let us not be like the religious leaders and false sheep filled with doubt, non-belief, and pride. Pray that we will be humbled by the mighty hand of God. Second point, verse 27, the eternal security of the sheep. Sheep, I'm sorry. Verse 27 says this, Wait, did I read verse 26? Hold me accountable. Yes, no, did I? I'll read it again just in case. Just in case. Amen. See, verse by verse, follow along. I can skip, you know, I can make it say what I want to say if I piece it together, right? Verse 26. <laughs> did I? No? Okay. I don't know. She said yes. She said no. I'm going to read it again just in case. Because I, when, I, when I preach the whole council, I don't want to leave a verse out. And I wouldn't preach the whole council, right? All right, verse 26. I'll read it again if I didn't. He said, but you do not believe... Because you are not my sheep. Yeah, I didn't say that. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. So they don't believe, clearly, because they're not of his sheep, right? That's what a false, a false sheep. He's not truly of the fault. And you know how they proved it? They don't believe. They blame the shepherd. They make excuses, and they're full of pride. None of these are attributes of a born-again Christian. Although we may struggle with it at times, and although we may fall to it at times, we cannot have peace while we're in that. Does that make sense? So Jesus calls them out, which I love that he does that. He says, you don't believe because you're simply not my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus makes a very definitive statement directed towards the religious leaders. No matter what I say or do, you're not going to believe in me. The fact that you don't obey me is evidence that you do not know me. This is the mark of a false disciple. They have no regard for the voice of Jesus. They have no regard to the commands of Jesus and no regard to obey him for the false sheep. Professing to know him, but in works, they deny him, Titus 1.16. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, 1 John two, three, and four. When he says, my sheep, this is personal. And I love the fact that it's personal because Christianity is a relationship, not a religionship. I tell people all the time, I wasted 27 years of my life in a relationship. I wasted 27 years of my life associating with Jesus through rules, rituals, and regulations. And I thought I was good. Although I knew deep, deep down inside, there's, there's, there's something more to this because every time I reach the pinnacle of goals, I still feel empty inside. 
I've been there. I, I, I know what it's like. My sheep, personal. It means they belong to me. I own them. I'm responsible for them. The Bible says you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Jesus' voice is the Holy Spirit, which has been given to each and every one of us to convict us of sin. We need that. Comfort us in affliction and bring into remembrance the things that Jesus taught. I like to say this. The Holy Spirit's not going to bring anything out that hasn't been put in. So you need to read the scriptures. Amen? You need to stay in the word of God. You need to meditate on his word day and night. He says, but you do not believe in me. It means you don't trust in me. You don't have confidence in me that leads to your obedience. And I think of it too, like we, we can easily look at the Exodus and say, wow, they saw that and then they doubted right away when they went to the wilderness. I would have never done that. Well, let, let's be honest, right? <laughs> we have the account and many, many, many more that they did not have. Um, we have the lives, transformed lives of many around us and then we have our own life and we still kind of do some of the same stuff, right? Let's be real. And so we see this all the time and the scripture says we need to take, when we think we stand, we need to take heed unless we fall. We need to constantly focus on our race. I gotta run my race, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. I gotta focus on, on my race and discipline my body, right? I gotta, I gotta compete according to the rules, right? So lest after I preach to others, I be a castaway focusing on our walk with him. So it can be easy for us to look at this and say, they're, they're idiots. How do, they, how do they not believe in Jesus? That's, I, that's easy for me. Well, no, it wasn't always easy for you. And we don't always have an easy time, right? So we need to take heed that we're not like them. For context, John 5, 39, he says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me, but you won't come that you may have life, the false sheep. Saints, I think we all have moments where we don't believe. We all have moments where we doubt the promises of the Lord. We all have moments where we simply ignore and do not obey when we're walking in the flesh. And we're sowing seeds to corruption. It's those times where we need to be most sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to the voice of our shepherd, because he will always lead us in truth. I have many favorite scriptures, but this is one of them. Psalm 119 104. He says, through your precepts, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Through what? Your precepts, the word of God, the spirit of God. When Jesus talks about his sheep, here's a distinction. One, they hear my voice. They listen and they hearken. Two, they know me by relationship and they follow me. John 12, if anyone serves me, him where my father honor. Are we his sheep? We'll take the test. Do you hear his voice? Do you listen to it? Do you follow him? Right? Not perfectly. Name one sheep that's never strayed. We don't see that. Sheeps are what? Prone to straining. That's why they need a shepherd. Right? It's not that we don't stray but do we listen and hearken when we're called back? I told a brother in Christ, a, a true born again believer is never comfortable in pig sloth, right? They may go to the pig sloth, but they're not gonna be comfortable there. When you look at the prodigal son, I gotta get up out of here. 
How many of my father's servants have more? I'm out, right? He couldn't stay there for long. Well, that's the evidence of a sheep. They hear the voice when he calls. Amen? Verse 28. And I give them, I love this, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Only God can give eternal life. Jesus states that he is the one who gives it. Now, he didn't say uh, half life and then maybe if you do a little, maybe you finish the deal, you might, you know, or I'm gonna give it and then I might take it back if you mess up. Like, that's not eternal life. See, eternal life is that which never ends. And he says, I'm the one who's giving it to you. And the evidence that you possess that is that you hear his voice, you listen, and you follow him. That is the assurance of your security, is that you hearken unto his voice. Now notice, this statement comes immediately after he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The very assurance, like I said, of our salvation is evidenced by our obedience. I know a lot of people don't like that word. I don't obey, I don't want to obey, I don't want that. Obedience is good. It's not a curse word. It's only a curse word to a false sheep. They don't like that. Because they realize that if Jesus is God, they are not. That if Jesus is God, they're not the God of their own life anymore. And that's why a lot of people don't like that. No obedience, no salvation. Obedience doesn't equal salvation. Salvation results in obedience. I heard a phrase. I like this phrase. You guys might want to write it down. I heard it said, I believe in the security of the believer, but in the insecurity of the make-believer, right? I believe in the security of the believer, but the insecurity of the make-believer. Many people come, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm me, I'm me, I'm that. I'm, I go to church, I do all those things, and that's good. I encourage you guys, come. Come to church, all that, right? But in works, they deny him. Lifestyle does not line up with Scripture. They're not true sheep. Our assurance and our fruit of salvation is in our obedience. Think about this type of statement and what it sounds like to religious leaders. Their whole lives, they have woke up in the morning in their prayer time and quoted the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, he is one, and we worship him and him alone. And then this man comes doing all these mighty works, and he says, I am that God you were saying was one in the human flesh. So that had to be hard to receive. Imagine some of us have been through this our whole life. We were part of a cult. I was raised Mormon. I was in the Catholic church. I I wasn't in the Catholic church, but I went to a Catholic high school. And your whole life you're being told something, you believe it. And then something vastly different comes along and tells you that's the truth. We don't immediately receive that right away. Well, this is where the religious leaders are right now. This is where they are, although they've seen enough to know that he is that. But the implications that if Jesus is God, everything they built their life upon is just a box of cards at this point. It's a box of cards. But the reality of that is that's good news because that wouldn't have saved you. You you would have been lost forever had Jesus not come on the scene. But that is, again, the peril of unbelief. Saints, no person in history has ever made a statement like this that they themselves can give a life that never ends. This is where Jesus stands out from all the rest. Jesus actually died and came back from the grave. And because he lives, we live also. When it says never perish, 
that means never perish. It means to not, it means to not be lost, not be ruined, not be destroyed, not be put to an end. No one, not even the devil, can claim for himself to snatch any of us out of his hands. This is a gift. That means it can't be earned and it cannot be merited and it cannot be taken back. When I, early in my walk with the Lord, I struggled with scriptures like this because I would see other scriptures that I felt in that time contradicted. And, I, and as you guys know, this argument has been going through the church for 2,000 years. Can a believer, are, is it once saved, always saved? Or is it, you know, perseverance of the saints? Or if you have a salvation, can you lose it? Well, if it's once saved, always saved, then I can go live a life however I want, right? But if, it, if I can lose it, then I'm, I'm, I, I might have lost it yesterday. I'm going to have to get it back today. Right? Who's going to help me, right? But the scripture is making it very clear. It, it's, it's, it's a balance. It's, look, Jesus gives us everlasting life, and the proof of that is our life being transformed, that we remain in Christ, some would say if you don't remain in Christ, you probably were never in him to begin with. I heard a phrase that said, you know, we're saved by grace, but a grace that can't change me is a grace that can't save me. True saving grace changes us. Jesus said some 100, some 60, some 30 fold, but there was change within the believer's life. And so some would claim that, yeah, okay, well, no one can snatch you out of his hand, but you can walk away. You can jump up out the hand. This is what scripture says. Here's my take on it. The Holy Spirit gives the believer an appetite for heaven, Romans 8 says. A longing to be with Jesus and to be absent from the body, is, I mean, absent from the body is present with the Lord. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a seal and a guarantee of heaven until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, I mean, 1 Corinthians 2, and 2 Corinthians 5. The Holy Spirit will never lead anyone to walk away from the Lord. For he who begun a good work will finish it until the day of Christ, Philippians 1, 6. And of course, 1 Peter 1 and 5, it says, we are kept by the power of God for salvation. And so you can't walk away, sorry. If you have that urge to do it, I, I believe that it's like a boomerang. You're always gonna come back around, right? I tell you the truth is like a boomerang. You can throw it as far as you want. It's always eventually gonna come back around to reality. There's nothing you can do about it. So eternal saints, it means just that. It's forever. And it was given by Jesus as a gift when we were all unworthy of receiving it. This is the gospel. It can never be taken away. It means we're going to live forever and we're going to heaven. This is why saints, when we have those rough days, we're like, you know, I don't think I want to walk with Jesus today, right? <laughs> I think I want to walk with me right now. When we're having those days, we always need to keep our minds on the fact that we're going to go to heaven. We always have to keep our minds on the reality that this is just temporary. Paul would give us the exhortation that not looking on the things that are seen because they're temporal, but on the things that are unseen because they're eternal, to set our affections on the things that are above and not here on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in. We're constantly having an eternal perspective because our hope has never been in this life, but the life to come. And so it should always be an encouragement. You know what? I'm having a bad day, but I am going to heaven, right? <laughs> I'm heaven bound, right? This, like I'm a citizen of heaven. My citizen papers are right there. Like I'm, I'm not of this world literally, right? And that should be our perspective as we travel through as foreigners in this world. But as we're doing that, we need to be bold, right? We need to be courageous for the gospel because I tell you, every soul you walk by is either going to go to heaven or hell. And we get to partner with heaven and partner with the Lord 
on helping spread the gospel that brings people into salvation. Amen? Praise the Lord. Sheep, they follow, they hear his voice, and Jesus gives us everlasting life. Verse 29. I'll speed it up. I'll try to at least. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, I have many people. Oh, well, Jesus can't be God because the Father is greater than him. He's also, he can't, you know, I have a lot of people who try to refute that. And it, and it ends up, you know, I'm going to explain it shortly. But Jesus basically makes it clear that he received his sheep directly from his Father. That his authority and rank is from his Father. And that the Father is stronger and larger than everyone and then he says, I and the Father are one. Now, what that means, they're not the same person. They're not Siamese twins. They're, like, they just don't look alike, right? They're, it's, they're not, you know. But what it means is essence and being. They're of the same material. They're, they're both eternal, right? I don't know a single soul that can explain the Trinity because it's an eternal reality, okay? It, it, all we can do is focus on what we do know, right? We do know that there's one God. Hear, O Israel, Lord thy God is one, Right? But we see in Scripture that this one God is co-equal, co-eternal, but distinct in their working and their persons, right? So the best way I explain is unity, diversity, and equality, right? And I just leave it there. And I just let the Scriptures do the rest. But we see all throughout Scripture that there's this unity of divine nature in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And when Jesus condescended from heaven and became man, Philippians 2 said that he made himself of no reputation that he lowered himself and became the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross, right? And so the explanation for what Jesus is saying in his humanity, the Father, yes, the Father is greater than I. My role right now is to redeem and save, and I am simply operating off of the obedience of what I've gotten from my Father. And so that's what Jesus is explaining, is that everything I'm doing, I got straight from the Father. And if you guys remember Matthew 28, what happened? He said, all, all, all authority is mine now right? All authority, heaven and earth, all power, heaven and earth. It's mine right now. Now go therefore out and he sends the great commission. But you have to look at the distinction of roles when he was in his humanity in that ministry. So he says, my father who has given them to me, the sheep is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from my father's hand. I and my father am one. And so we have the blessed assurance of what I call a two-fisted promise of both the father and the Son, sealed by the, the Spirit. And I guess a picture could be when mom and dad are walking. I have a son, he's three, three, almost four. When we walk him across the street, we both hold his hand. I have one side. My wife has another side. He's not going anywhere. He's not strong enough to pull away from that. We have that double promise of Jesus holding our hand and the Father holding our hand and the Spirit sealing that with us. We don't need to be afraid of being lost. Amen? We have this blessed promise and this blessed assurance from God, which Titus 2 says that in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to rejoice. Amen. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I get up in the morning and remind myself of that, I'm ready. I'm amped. Let's go. Right. Amen. I think about the security that I have in Christ, not because of anything that I have done, but what he has done is that I'm secure in his hands. I'm ready to work and labor for the Lord, right? I love exactly 
what the scripture says. I and my father are one, same essence, same being. I had a, uh, this, and I've never had this before. I've told you guys about my telemarketing calls where people call and I give them the gospel. Um, praise God, and someone got saved by that. I got a text message one. And so nowadays, they get, they're slick now. Like, hey, they'll call you by name. They'll text you by name. Hey, do you need, you know? And so I just press stop, like the capital S-T-O-P. And if it's like an automated system, let's say you've automatically been removed. And so I got one recently where they're like, hey, do you need some capital for your business? I don't own a business, but you need some capital for your business. And I put stop, capitals. And the person went three, two, one, go. I'm like, okay, so this is not an automated system. All right. So I said, hey, can you please like remove, you know? And he says, no, you remove. So I'm like, I'm playing, I'm not going to play games. I'm not, I'm not playing games. So I didn't respond. Next day, I get another one, same number. I read, stop, <laughs> S-T-O-P, twice, right? And then he did the same thing. I said, you know what? I'm going to give this man some scripture. I'm going to give him some scripture. So I put Romans 3, there's no one righteous, no, not one. All have gone astray and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was like, that'll get him, right? He ain't going to text me no more. He's done, right? He texted me back scripture. And I'm like, okay. All right, okay. Long story short, we went back and forth. Uh, he was claiming to be a believer, but something was very strange. He didn't really mention Jesus. Um, and then I finally just said, hey, are you born again? Are you saved by Jesus Christ? I was bold with it because I, I, I discerned something was different. And he just kept quoting certain scriptures, kind of quoting some of the scriptures I quoted, but never would admit if he was born again and never would admit if Jesus was Lord. And so finally, I just asked him, bro, I don't think you're saved. Yeah, I, I just don't think you're saved. That. And he admitted finally, he said, are you a priest? I said, no, I'm not a priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he said, can I ask you a question? I said, good, now we're getting somewhere, right? And this is all through tech message. I'm like, you know, this is the first. I've never had this before. And we get into it and he says, so help me understand how someone has to die for your sin. We need to, we're, shouldn't we die for our own sin? And I said, yeah, you're 100% correct. We are actually guilty of our own sin. We should die for our sin. You're a thousand percent correct. But that's the beauty of the gospel is that God's love is so infinite that he died in our place and you should be grateful. You shouldn't be complaining, right? And he says, God, God and Jesus are, Jesus is not God. Is where we get right to this. Jesus is not God. I, what, tell me how Jesus is God if, and he quoted some of John. Well, he says, I am the, the father is greater than I. How does Jesus pray to God and he's God? I don't get it, right? And logic, okay, that does make sense from a very carnal point of view if you don't read scripture. And one of my favorite ones is Philippians 2. So I gave him Philippians 2. It says right there, thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He condescended and came to the point of the man. And he denied that. He said, oh, that's not true. He, he refused scripture. And I gave him a bunch more, a lot of from John, where it says he made himself equal to God. He eventually got to the point where he said, I need help because I believe Jesus is God. He said, I need to be checking to the psych ward. He said, I had issues exactly like what the religious leaders were doing in this text, verbatim. And it wasn't that he was uninformed. It was simply that he didn't want to believe. And I constantly get opportunities like this to share and people struggle with the Jesus being God because if he's God, then they're not, right? <laughs> they're not, amen? And so I'm praying for him. I don't know his name, but he's a telemarketer. And he tried to get to me through text. They're getting more and more creative these days, right? Amen. Pray for that guy, right? Jesus indeed is the second member of the Godhead. He and the Father are not only in unity, but are of the same substance. Hence why Jesus received the same honor as the Father. 
on our outline. They have eternal life and they're secure, like I said. The hand of both the Father and the Son hold each sheep sealed by the Spirit. Again, the security of the believer and the insecurity of the make-believer. Verse 31, we'll finish up. Last point, very plainly. Jesus is God. Amen? Jesus is God. Let's read 31. Then, let's see how the Jews like that statement. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him again, right? They took up stones to stone him again. Now, why would they do that? This is another phrase. Jesus never said he was God. Well, that's not what, that's not what the Jews said. They're stoning him because, and we're going to read further, because that is called blasphemy, claiming to be God when you're not. That is called blasphemy, punishable by death stoning in the Old Testament. So they pick up stones, notice it says again, to stone him. Jesus answered, I love the way he answers too, many good works have I shown you from my father. Can you tell me which one of those you're going to stone me for, please? If I could just imagine him saying that. Many good works I've shown you from my father. May not have been on the day that you wanted me to do it on, but many good works I've shown you from my father. Which of these works do you stone me for? See, Jesus reminds them that all he has done was everything the Father did in the Old Testament. There wasn't anything Jesus did in the New that God the Father didn't do in the Old. It would actually be foolish to punish him for doing good. It, it would be unrighteous. Basically, can you tell me exactly which good deed that I'm going to be condemned for and, and what authority you're going to do that by? Which one? Verse 33. Then the Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Is that true? Him being a man, make himself God, is that true? It's not a trick question. No, it's the other way around. Him being God became a man. You guys got it all, you need to read the scriptures. That's the problem, right? You do well air because you do not know the scriptures of what the scriptures say. So they got it flipped over. This claim of Jesus to be, a, be man claiming to be God, but he has always been God and he condescended into man for our salvation. Again, I love Philippians 2. It's one of my, my favorite standpoints on this, that he lowered himself and made himself of no reputation. See, many will only see Jesus as a good man, but not God. They honor his life, but not his identity in who he is. The word blasphemy, it means slander, speech injurious to others, punishable by death in the Old Testament. Saints, all of us must make a decision who Jesus is, whether he's liar, lunatic, or Lord. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He has not given us any other options. He can't just be a good man. Good men don't lie, right? He can't just be a prophet because if a prophet lies once, he's a false prophet, also punishable by death, by stoning, right? I usually tell Jehovah's Witness, hey, you sure you want to stand on that, on that claim? Because Joseph, you know, uh, Charles said he made some prophecies that didn't come true. You wanna, you, are you willing to get stoned for that? Are you willing to be stoned for that profession, that prophecy that was false? But the religious leaders would blame him for blasphemy because they didn't know the scriptures. But we all must make a choice who he is to us. I would, I would say, you guys are here on Thursday. You, probably, you guys probably mostly all say, man, for the most part, amen. You're on Thursday night. <laughs> most of our Thursday night crowd, we, we got a lot of fruit going on, right, amen. But again, 
all of us still have to make that decision. Jesus is the God-man and the one whom redeems us from the slave market of sin. Jesus' identity is a spiritual truth. Of course, it's foolish to non-believers, right? The Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But for us that are being saved, it's the power of God. I think it's 1 Corinthians 1.18. Jesus does the works of the Father. The outline. Jesus and the Father are one, same essence and being. Jesus is God in human form. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the world came, and the scripture cannot be broken. So he quotes Old Testament, Psalm 82. And, and mo- I've heard people say this to justify that we're gods. Um, again, context, right? It says in the Bible, you were gods, Psalm 82. What happened, the context of Psalm 82 is the wicked judges and they quotes and says, ye are gods, but you're going to die like men. He was condemning the wicked judges of Israel for rejecting the, uh, God's word and not walking in obedience to God's word. And he said, ye are gods, which men judges, and you're going to die like men. And Jesus quotes that and says, isn't it written in your book that even the wicked judges were called gods? And he was really condemning them because they were exactly like those same wicked judges back in the Old Testament. And he says, if they said that about them, then why are you going to say I'm blasphemy for saying I'm the son of God and I've proved it, right? And so he uses that scripture and quotes it because the scriptures cannot be broken. You know what that means? It means there's no contradictions. There's no contradictions. So when people come and say, oh, well, there's, I said, nope, I quote this very verse. The scripture cannot be broken. They bear witness to one another from Genesis to Revelation. The entire thing is one big hymn book, like I like to tell people. The Old Testament tells us Jesus is coming. The Gospels say he's on the scene. He's here. In Acts, he's proclaimed with power. In the epistles, he's explained. And then Revelation says he's coming back. All the book testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ from top to bottom. So when they say, well, tell me why, give me a reason why you believe, 66 reasons right here. Which one do you want me to start with, right? Jesus is God. They rejected it. He says the scriptures cannot be broken. Verse 36, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? If I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. He says, how can you say I'm blaspheming for saying I'm the son of God if those who did not, no mighty acts or deeds were called gods in the Old Testament, whom the Father sanctified? How was he sanctified? He means set apart. Guys, remember, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. God the Father bore witness that Jesus is indeed my son. Hebrews 2, God the Father calls Jesus son. We see all through scripture, God has bore witness and set his son apart as the Holy One of Israel. He's done everything from above and they have denied him. Jesus was set apart by the Father in your outline. 
As Christians, we're not only a witness in our words, but also in our works that the Lord does through us. Jesus said, look, okay, don't believe what I say. That's fine. But my works, you can't deny those. We can't deny that Jesus is God when we read through scripture. And more importantly, we can't deny what he's done in our own lives and the lives of those around us. People who have claimed to meet Jesus, met Jesus in life and their lives are still the same, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The, the, the Jesus of the Bible, people met and have a relationship with them and they're changed and they're transformed and their lives bear fruit worth noting and taking note even for us. Are we the same as we were before? Do we respond as we did before? Some of you, most of you guys know, um, by God's grace, I got a job here working as a campus pastor. Um, I don't know what, what went on before here. I've had an opportunity to teach a lesson to the staff and today to the kids. And for whatever reason, they're blown away. They said, no man has ever spoke like this before here. Now, of course, that's not me, right? But it's the spirit of the living God. At 1 Corinthians, see, who is Paul? Who's Apollos other than minister in whom which you have believed? But when the spirit of God shows up in the place in an individual, you cannot deny it. Like they said about the apostles, then they knew that those men had been with Jesus. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And their actions and their words lined up with one another. And Jesus is doing that right now. And he is our perfect example. He is the essence of the Father. Philip, he told Philip, I believe, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in all of my magnificence. Jesus was confirmed by other prophets. John the Baptist, we'll finish up here, verse uh, 39 and 40. Therefore, they sought to again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. Notice Jesus always gets away, praise God, till the cross, right? <laughs> Verse 40, and then he went away beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all these things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. Notice the responses every time Jesus spoke or did miracles. Some rejected, some thought about it, and some believed. And you have that in every crowd. And that's why every message I address, I know some people don't want to be here. I know some people are dragged here. I know some people want to be here. But at the end of the day, the word of God does not return back void. Either it's going to be a fruit in your life now or a witness against you on judgment day. Jesus says, I have not come to judge, but the words that I speak unto you will judge you in the last day. Jesus Christ is God. We need to boldly proclaim the gospel. There's only one response if we don't, and that's non-belief. They don't even have an opportunity. So we need to be bold in that. All right, uh, in review. Attributes of false sheep, they look for temporal deliverance rather than spiritual deliverance. The eternity security of the sheep, this is for us, saints. We hear his voice, we respond to it, we follow him, we're known by him, we obey him. Obedience is good, it's not bad. They have eternal life and are secure. We have a two-fisted promise. We're walking through life and Jesus and God, God the Father are both holding our hands and the Holy Spirit is sealing them. 
That is a great encouragement for us to walk with the Lord. And Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the eternal God, the invisible made, the invisible God made visible, the mighty God, the mighty counselor, Jehovah Jireh. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship team, you guys can come on up. For anybody in here, it's Thursday night, but you never know, right? Who has not confessed Christ as Lord. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. To if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as they did in the day of rebellion. And so the scripture says that everyone who has not been born again is in bondage to the fear of death all the days that they live. And that the soul that sins will die. But the Bible also says that God who's rich in mercy, there in which he loved us, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Therefore, by grace, we have been saved. And so he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and the holy angels. So if you have not yet confessed Christ as Lord, surrendered your life, admitted that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of the grace of God and thrown yourselves on the mercy of the judge, today is the day, right now. You're not promised tomorrow. Bible says the point for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. There's no mulligan, there's no second chance. Today, so if you have not, here's your opportunity. Anyone in here? I know pretty much all you guys, but who, who knows, right? Who am, I, who am I to judge, right? Anyone in here? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. That is alive, it's living, it's active, sharper than a two-edged sword, breaking bone and marrow, piercing soul and spirit. And as the thought and discern the tension of our heart. Lord, we thank you that you are the true and living Savior and that we have a living hope, a living word, and a living faith, and that where you are, we will be also. Although now we see dimly through a mirror, but then we're going to be fully known, although we know in part and we prophesy in part. One day we're going to see you face to face and have the fullness of joy. Lord, I truly pray for everyone here, Lord, to continue to walk in your ways, that you would protect them, that you would guard their hearts and minds through your holy and precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Dave and his family. We thank you for this, this body of Christ in which you have ordained, Lord. And we thank you for salvation. That, Lord, we were once blind and now we see. That we were once dead and now we are alive. We were once wrong and now we are right, all because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord, that we would long to live a life of obedience unto you, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel that is truly the power of you unto salvation to all who believe. We thank you so much for your grace, Lord. Humble us under your mighty hand that it would be you who would lift us up. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.